That's my mission is to find ways that everybody can do something. Everybody can participate. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 232. Today, we're talking about raising eco-conscious kids with Sheila Moravati. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course and membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, my friend. I am so glad you are here. Dear listener, it's nice to connect with you. I hope you're hanging in there if you're in real time in our crazy pandemic world. Oh my goodness. And definitely one of the things for me that has been helpful in this pandemic world has been I'm fortunate enough to be able to be outside in nature every day. And the the one maybe bright side is that there's like some good things happening for the earth. You know, so maybe that's a bright side. Um, yeah, it's a crazy time. And in, in just a moment, this I'm going to be sitting down with Sheila Moravati, and she's founder and president of Crayon Collective and Habits of Waste. And with a degree in sociology from UCLA, Sheila has successfully been growing her nonprofits since 2011. She lives in LA with her husband and two children. We talk, and we talked before the pandemic hit, so you may notice that that's not in our conversation, but we talk about, you know, how wasteful our habits can be. And, you know, but the thing is our kids, they care about the environment and they're often really passionate about taking steps to protect our planet. And so Sheila talks about how she noticed a few simple ways that we were wasting and how we can transform that, uh, that waste. So You'll hear us talk about crayons as this big garbage problem. And actually, it can also be a big like gift for, for communities in need and how small steps can make this huge difference and how kids really care and, and want to take action to help reverse global warming. So we're going to talk about steps that you and your family can take. So I can't wait for you to dive into this episode. And before we dive in, I want to let you know that I have been enrolling people in the Mindful Parenting Teacher Training, which makes me so happy because it's like this baby that I created, this curriculum that I created and been teaching in person and online for a number of years now, I'm starting to put it in other people's hands who are also passionate about it and also want to share this work with families in their communities. And so the teacher certification certifies will certifies you to teach the my eight-week mindful parenting course in person in your local community. And it walks you through exactly how to do that. We do practice teaching. We even give you some some business training with that. And it's a whole um, it, it's a whole uh, process to so that you can be a certified mindful parenting teacher. 
and teach it in your community is so cool. So if we've already had a bunch of people from around the world enrolling, if you're interested, we are probably opening up a second group uh, to do the teacher training and uh, you can learn more about it at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach. It's so cool because it's like this win, 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 right? You deepen your knowledge of the communication skills and the mindfulness tools that you need to really parent from this connected, calm place. And you get to help transform communities in your neighborhood or your location, and you get to earn some income doing something that is you really care about and you love. So if you want to learn more, mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach. And now on to this episode. Sheila, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thanks for having me, Hunter. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited to talk about raising eco-warriors and how to help our planet in some beautiful systemic ways. If anybody who is, has listened, that I've been like really itching for things that are beyond just what individuals can do. So this is so exciting. But I want to dive in and talk to you a little bit about your own upbringing, how you, how you were raised and, and, and how you were parented. Um, it's a good story because uh, when I was born, I was born in um, Tehran, Iran, and we had to leave the country um, due to the revolution um, in 1978. So my family was kind of forced out and we really didn't have um, a very like stable home for many years and didn't have a place to really have toys, have anything. It was just like out of a suitcase for a really long time. And um, to give you an idea, I moved 14 times. I've gone to 14 schools. And so I've moved more than that, just the schools um, sometimes didn't change. Um, So a lot of movement, a lot of instability. And just being an immigrant in this country uh, gave my parents a chance to really look for survival tactics um, more than finding ways to be uh, environmentally conscious or ways to be, you know... um, great parents. I think that they were really just doing their best to survive. So that's kind of what I grew up with. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine I, I, my, my, the story I want to tell about like maybe an Iranian family is that it might, that your parents might be pretty strict, like with that whole survival aspect also in mind. Well, my parents were a little different. My mom went to boarding school in England and grew up between England and France and Iran. My dad went to school in Italy for many years. So they really didn't share um, as deep the cultural um, issues. My dad was the kind of guy that said, you know, you're a girl but you must do everything boys do. You must know how to drive an 18-wheeler. You must know how to drive um, a stick shift, an automatic, a van. Doesn't matter. You must show, you know, your interest in everything, um, and not just think that you're, you know, a girl and you can't do it. So that was one of the things I really enjoyed about my parents and their willingness to try um, and bring us into every single thing. And that was not very Iranian of them. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, do you can you drive an eighteen wheeler? <laughs> I never got to that, but I did learn how to drive many, many, many different types of cars, and my my family completely supported that and wanted me to com- be a part of that totally. Yeah, I was psyched when I could drive my dad's pickup truck. 
that's cool. That's cool. So you, you landed in the U S and et cetera. And, and, and how do you think when you look back at your own upbringing, how do you think it either shaped what you wanted to do with your kids or what you didn't want to do with your kids? Cause usually there's a mix of both. I think um, just the fact that my family was just so adamant on us having all the opportunities uh, at our fingertips here in the United States, that was the most important thing to me. I think it was one of those um, gifts that I never really realized I had until I had my own kids. Um, so I really wanted to emulate that as much as I could where, you know, the sky's the limit. There's nothing that you can, that can stop you because that was really the best gift of, of the revolution was to be able to grow up in a country like this where for girls and boys, um, for anybody really, the sky's the limit. And then um, I think what I wanted to do differently was just to really take the time to um, learn about developmental, you know, appropriate play, toys, you know, all the different things that a child goes through throughout their lifetime. I remember when I first had my first child, I was so curious about what is the appropriate things to get a two-month-old. And mm -hmm. sure enough, it was, I learned, okay, they only see black and white for, you know, a certain number of weeks. So all the toys I had at the beginning were all black and white. And I really wanted to do my best to educate myself and not just go at it with like, you know, kind of shooting from the hip and not being sure. I really wanted to take advantage of all the tools that were here and available to us to do the best I could with these kids. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those black and white uh, mobiles that, mm -hmm. that we had at our house yeah. and we would sort of like shift them out a little, one, once or twice. And, and, uh, and, and, and yeah, the, um, and you, have you always been from when you were from when you started raising, when, when did your environmental consciousness start to bloom? Cause you're pretty, you're, you're, a, you're an environmental warrior doing some amazing stuff. Um, it's affected my family, your work, even if they don't know, you know, <laughs> children don't know your name. They have told me to, you know, stop. We don't want a plastic straw, et cetera. So yeah. when, when did you, when did that bloom for you? I think um, it's interesting because I was around nine years old and at the time we were living in New Jersey and it was a freezing cold winter and we were lucky enough at that point to get to escape the winter and go to Mexico. And we went to Acapulco and decided to just have a couple of weeks off from, from the cold. And um, my family wanted to experience the real uh, community rather than just the beautiful resorts and stuff. So we went to dinner in the city and we were waiting for the table and as we were waiting, the hostess gave us like a bunch of little knickknacks to my sister and I and we played with them through dinner and we we just kept them with us uh as we were leaving and she said oh how about a balloon and so she gave me a yellow balloon and I was holding it and walking back to the hotel and I think this yellow balloon attracted the kids in the community there um that were running around on the streets and playing and everything and so all of a sudden within just I think two minutes of walking back to the hotel we had about 20 kids just around us screaming in, in delight to see that balloon and pointing to everything that I had in my hands. And I just remembered um, my mom whispering to me that you should give these to the kids because they're going to play with these for weeks to come and you might just play with them for 10 more minutes and throw them in the garbage. And so at that moment, I realized like, yeah, I should probably do this, even though I really, really don't want to. I want every single one of these things and they're new for me um, too. And so I, I gave it and I remembered the happiness and joy that these kids experienced. Meanwhile, I also 
kind of planted a seed, I think, that came back to me later in life as I kind of became a parent and was going to restaurants with my daughter and getting four free crayons each time we'd go eat. And sure enough, these crayons would get thrown in the trash as soon as we'd leave. And I, I just kept getting flashbacks to that moment when I was a kid and seeing how much these children uh, living you know, in, in poverty really would, would have appreciated those crayons and how crazy it is that we're just throwing them away without regard. And kind of thinking like this is a new normal that we just toss crayons that are just like used for not even a minute. Um, some of them didn't even make it out of the box and they were getting thrown away. So I think that those, those moments kind of strung together to create this bigger story that really was um, important for me to do something about it. So the, the crayon, not collective, collection. Yes. <laughs> the crayon collection started when your daughters were little? Yes. So my daughter was two, two and a half years old, and I kept going to restaurants and we'd receive these four pack of crayons and I'd see them go in the trash. And I just noticed the tables around me were doing the same thing. And, you know, parents are kind of harried leaving with their little kids and trying to get out of there. And nobody was paying attention to the crayons except me. And so I started collecting mine and trying to see like, okay, well, what am I going to do with all these crayons? And within a few weeks, I had, I don't know, about 50 crayons. We would go to restaurants a lot. My daughter was a huge, um, really difficult and picky eater. But when we would go to this one restaurant, she just would eat. And so I kept going. I was a new mom and um, I just did it. And so sure enough, I had all these crayons and not knowing what to do with them, I kind of discovered that what if we were to ask restaurants to participate and collect the crayons that kids leave behind, and then I could find a local school in need to pick them up. And so I tested it with a couple restaurants and I realized very quickly that the schools are desperate for school supplies. Teachers were spending about five or $600 at the time. This is about 10 years ago um, out of their personal earnings on school supplies. And meanwhile, restaurants are throwing away 150 million crayons a year that are non-decomposable. So I kind of linked up these restaurants with schools and it really worked beautifully. So then uh, it grew and now we are in all 50 states and 10 countries. And sometimes we have different ambassadors who are traveling. We just had four shipments go out to the border in Mexico, um, the Mexico, uh, California border. And then another woman was going to Liberia. She filled her bag up with 50 pounds of crayons. She took a huge suitcase and took it out to Liberia. So we do support, you know, anybody who really needs the crayons as long as they're not going in the trash. So that's kind of where the crayon collection recycling program was born. And then now we even updated it so that we challenge artists that are like real professional artists with MFAs and everything. And we say, if you only had a crayon, what would you do with it? It's your one chance to teach a child who may never have an art lesson um, an art class. And so sure enough, it was a beautiful thing to see the crayons go to classrooms around uh, the country and teach art with them. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcast right after this break. We are supported by Biosance. I have been loving Biosance's squalane and lactic acid resurfacing night serum. It's this top selling serum at Sephora and you wake up to dramatically smoother, softer, luminous skin overnight. It gently exfoliates and resurfaces for smoother, softer texture, helping eliminate daily stressors for your skin. I can really feel it tingling on my face. And as someone who's very interested in all natural ingredients, 
ingredients. It's so nice to find something that just feels so good and is so natural. It's been an amazing experience. It's clinically proven to produce visible results in a single night. 100% of users saw significant exfoliation overnight. 100% of users showed improvement in the appearance of pores overnight. And 100% of users showed a visible reduction in the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles overnight. It boosts your skin's renewal process, gently works with your skin as you sleep. An essential part of the nighttime routine and gentle enough to use every night. And it's perfectly balanced with 10% vegan lactic acid, powerful enough to produce dramatic results, but gentle enough for daily use. Go to biosense.com to get 20% off your next purchase with the code HUNTER. That's B-I-O-S-S-A-N-C-E, biosense.com. That's beautiful because um, for, in a former life, I was in art uh, education. Uh, I have an art education master's degree. And, uh, and so I was thinking about the, the art supplies and, and crayons are not my favorite art supply as an art teacher in my brief years. But I love that you're bringing in, um, that you're bringing in the professional artists to, uh, to to challenge like what, what can be done, you know, beyond the, uh, beyond the, the watercolor resist uh, paintings, I suppose. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because actually when we challenge artists, they really do love the tight parameters of um, the confines of the challenge. So mm-hmm. they come up with some really amazing art projects. And what's interesting is, you know, art education has been really um, taken away from most of the schools we serve. Mm-hmm. These are Title I schools or Head Start centers. Actually, Head Start does have a lot of art, but most of the time it's the supplies that are needed for Head Start. But for um, Title I schools, they really don't have the funding for art education. And so we learn that students that have access to the arts perform better in all subjects, including math, science, reading, writing, everything. And so we started to create these art projects, but then teachers were saying, well, we don't have time to teach art. That's not even part of our curriculum. So then we decided, okay, well, how about we make it part of the curriculum? So we would take the project and have teachers look at it and create lesson plans that basically connect uh, the standards that they need to teach anyway. So many of them have early letter recognition, reading, writing. There's a lot of stuff in there that you'd be surprised at how many um, elements teachers need to teach anyway. So it really became a win-win model for school teachers, classrooms, students, restaurants, the environment, um, everything, and even for the kids. And so now we have children doing the donating of the crayons rather than the first few years where it was, you know, employees of the restaurant. So now we have boxes, thanks to Penguin Random House and our partnership with their book series, The Day the Crayons Quit. We have boxes in all our restaurant partners and kids can drop their crayons in at the end of the meal and really learn about what it means to waste less and to give back and to donate. And it just, um, it was, it was like a missing link. I think that the kids weren't doing the work and now we want the kids to do the work and it's working out really well because they're just walking away with so many valuable lessons. I love that idea um, of the kids doing the work. My my daughters are my my oldest daughter is in seventh grade and has to do some community service and and you know I could picture her in downtown Wilmington doing doing this work. Can you uh, can you talk a little bit more to the the environmental impacts of crayons because that's something I never thought about. Like what are I mean what are crayons made of? I, I know that the Crayola factory in in, in uh, in where is that Eastern Pennsylvania? I know they recycle some crayons, but generally, 
you said they're not biodegradable. What happens to crayons? Well, they're made of paraffin wax, so they basically don't go away. Um, that's, that's the issue. And once again, what we try to do is shine light on those seemingly uh, harmless behaviors that you kind of don't think about. But real, re- in reality, these crayons, you know, what would you do if like a pile of wax was just sitting there melting in a landfill? It just, just sits there. Um, so they don't decompose. And why, why are we thinking that this is okay to throw away a still good crayon? So many times we get, you know, teachers asking us, you know, can we, well, we may donate the broken crayons and so many restaurants say, can we give the broken crayons? And we say, yes, because teachers use those broken ones and they may make new projects with them, like shave them down or melt them into new ones. Or So there's really no reason why even a broken crayon should be thrown away, let alone a perfectly good one that's barely even been used. I guess that's true. I was thinking about the, I was going to ask a question about the broken crayons, but I remember when I was a kid, uh, a dear friend of mine was a, was homeschooled and I went to her house one time and we made dipped candles and we melted down crayons as part of the project to dip these strings and, and make a hand dipped candle to understand how candles were made. And what, what a perfect project. I mean, there's a whole bunch of, I'm sure there's endless other projects that can happen like that. Yeah. In fact, one of our most recent artists just created a project that specifically needs broken crayons to be able to do it. And so it's a beautiful way. And that particular project talks a lot about shapes and geometry. And so we were able to connect the dots into like math curriculum. So um, all of that's available on the website and anyone can use those projects for free and download them and try them out at home with their kids and their classrooms, suggest it to teachers. It's all there. And so even broken crayons still color, like they always say. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So just before we move on from the crayon collective, people can get involved. You can get your kids involved. I can get my kids involved. How do we do that? Yeah, so crayoncollection.org is the website. It has everything there. Um, It talks a lot about how your kids can participate within your household and within your kids' school. So we expanded the program um, since the beginning where it's not just restaurants collecting crayons, but it's kids, particularly kids that are in well-served communities, being able to donate the crayons they no longer need. They may have them at home. Maybe they go to a restaurant that doesn't participate. They generate a crayon collection and they can donate to a school within five miles of their location. And that's all, again, available by entering your zip code on our website and all the schools will come up. Um, We actually have a new project that's really cool. It's called our Color Kindness Program, where kids can sit together and draw notes of kindness and basically pack up 10 packs of crayons in little pouches. And we can provide you with the pouches if you don't have any. Um, and basically donate the crayons like that in a pouch with a note of kindness to a vulnerable school because we learned that most of the kids who we're serving have never owned their own pack of crayons. And so over time, we realized that when the restaurants donate, it's a big bulk of crayons, whereas they're being used in the classrooms and everything, but sometimes the children don't ever have a chance to take them home. So these little packs of crayons become individualized, and that way there's a sense of ownership from the children. And it's nice to see the kindness going back and forth from kids to kids makes a huge difference. I just feel like I'm being faced with my own ignorance because it really is hard for me to imagine that not being able to afford a pack of crayons, but it's it's clearly there. It's 
You it's know, true it's, because most of the times in Title I schools, you know, more than half of the, the, the population are living under the po- poverty line in order for them to uh, receive the, fun- the, the extra funding. And it turns out that these are families who are really struggling to keep their refrigerators full of food, to just keep their, their clothes on the children's backs, that, you know, crayons suddenly become this luxury that really no one thinks about. And once again, it brings us right back to home where it's like we're at these restaurants throwing away all these crayons. Why are we doing this? It is just such an unnecessary act of wastefulness um, and a habit of waste, which we will talk about in a minute. But that's kind of where habits of waste came up because we just habitually behave in ways that we're not thinking about it. And when you bring light to it, people are like, I would never think about that. I never realized that. I'm never going to do that again. So uh, you can't unthink it is what we like to say. That, that's how I feel about the straw thing. So my daughters brought, made me aware of straws and, and sort of the habit we have of getting straws automatically in our drinks and, and how this is wasteful plastic going into the environment and it's just sort of again and again and again and what's it doing it's preventing the ice from touching my teeth it's not such a big deal for me (laughs) me to get a little ice on my teeth uh and so in my family we've been you know asking them not to bring straws and my daughter is particularly annoyed when they automatically bring out a styrofoam cup with a plastic lid and a straw for them just because she's 10 years old Um, right and this 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 goes back to the work that you you're doing, but it seems like we're we're becoming. I mean, at least in my own consciousness, we're we're be, becoming more aware of it in so many places. Like I was, it's made me looking at straws, made me look at my toothbrush, and now I use a a bamboo toothbrush because why do I need to use a plastic toothbrush that's just going to go in the environment. I used to use a recycled one, but it's just making me look at all these different things and all these different places in my life where I can't recycle. And, and this is an issue we have to face as a society. So so tell me about habits of waste. Tell me about the, the straws. Yeah, the straws, um, to your point, it, it was a real conversation starter. It was a real beginning for people who may have not thought twice about certain things. Um, it opened the consciousness to to a behavior that once again was just like this, this underlying normal of, of waste. And so what happened when, those, when I was in those same restaurants dealing with the crayons, I kept seeing cups of water being passed out with a plastic straw in it that no one ordered. I knew no one had ordered those because the next thing you'd see is the sodas coming with the plastic straw in it. And so those cups of water with the plastic straw in it were sitting there untouched and um, they were, you know, enjoying their next drink that they actually did want. So I thought to myself, you know, how can we handle this? And one day I started writing a blog post. This was about four years ago. And I started to write about how we can all do better and how, you know, we're using... 500 million plastic straws per day. And as I wrote that, I completely thought that was a typo. So I looked at different websites and different resources and sure enough, that number kept coming up and I thought it's it's really does not seem possible, but in actuality it was true. And so um, as soon as I kind of published that blog post, I realized I've got to do something about this because this is a massive problem. Luckily, I had a hunch that, you know, whether 
I can change the whole entire mindset around it or not. I don't know. But all I know is that I have one of the most famous, iconic beach cities in my backyard. And I already had a relationship with them because of my work at Crayon Collection. So I went to the city of Malibu and I requested a ban of um, all single-use plastic straws and cutlery in the city. It was the first ban in history to actually take effect, um, which was June 1st, 2018. And it was a wonderful feeling to see that um, not only did Malibu do it, but the rest of the world heard as well. And I think it was a domino effect that really started. It was a tipping point. So many different people were talking about it and wanting to do something, but I felt that laws needed to be passed. And so the city of Malibu was really a pioneer and a leader and they did it. And it made a huge difference in, I think, the subsequent bans that came up. They made it really seem possible. And so many different cities I worked with asked me, how did you guys do it in Malibu? And luckily we had, you know, I would just share the link of all the language and they've been using that language over and over again in different, in different cities with their bands as well. That is so cool. I think that's such a great example of, you know, we, uh, many of us think like the only change we can make is at an individual level, but I really see that at like a county level, at a city level, at a, a you know, and even a state level, this is like, these are some of the most fruitful areas for more systemic change, which is what really makes an impact as, as your change did. Exactly. And also I talk a lot to teenagers and, and kids who have social media. That's exactly what we say. We're like, post something about, you know, a positive change in the environment that you'd like to see or that you're practicing and that your friends might see. Kids nowadays, I mean, I just can't even believe it, but they have upwards of a thousand followers on average, at least the kids I see. I don't know how they know this many people and that's a whole other conversation, but using that, using that platform for good, I think is something that really needs to be folded into um, all the communications in this new dimension that we could also take advantage of. So we, we do work with a lot of students in that way. And, and we call it hashtag LA Green Team in hopes that different cities will come up with, with that too and use their platform to make their voices heard and get these kids kind of engaged in being uh, leaders through their social media. So it doesn't only have to be about, you know, fun stuff that is just food and out where I'm going out, whose party I'm at, clothes, this and that, but maybe something that really makes a difference. And I think everyone's ready for something, to, to learn something new, to try something different. So that's another way that we really want people to tell their friends, speak up, even if you're not going to a city and making a change, like tell a friend about something you're doing. And then that person might tell, you know, a few other people and just speak up, you know, your voice matters. We always say that. That's, that's beautiful. I, I mean, my, um, I feel like my daughters are really, they're looking at like Greta Thunberg and they're really admiring the people, the teens who are making change. And I really see this generation of kids is, is growing up, you know, they're growing up anxious, but for good reason, like we're in a crisis mode as far as what's happening in our environment and, and it, it's scary, I think, for kids to see what's, what's going on. So I love that this gives them, you know, this idea of, of giving them some, helping them find with direction and purpose and ways to, to clean up our world. So you, you talked about this idea of raising eco warriors with your own parenting and your own kids. So, so how was this, that's something that shaped the way you were thinking and, and how did you implement that in your life when you, when your kids were little and then as they grow? So I think, um, 
you know, through the evolution of my work from the crayons to then the straws and the cutlery, um, we launched Habits of Waste, which uh, ended up being our second charity because people were getting confused whether it's crayons or straws or plastic. And so we realized that, okay, maybe all the other work outside crayons needs its own place to live. And so habitsofwaste.org was born. And it's there that I kind of was able to look at all sorts of different things we can all do differently and different behaviors, whether it's, you know, riding a bike to get your, you know, your, your milk or something that you've left at the grocery store, just those little tiny things that add up and make a difference and actually can be more fun too for the whole family to just get outside and, and do that. Um, But one of the things that I love to do with my children is really just talk a lot about, well, how can we minimize the amount of things that goes into our trash bin? How can we minimize the amount of impact we're making? So one way we do that is we, every Sunday we go to the farmer's market and we talk to the local farmers and we talk about how it's important for us to work with local um, farmers so that we don't have that statistic of our average carrot traveling 2,000 miles to get to the big, big supermarket. We want to have the local um, produce come to us. And so we go in with our bags and we even bought little mesh bags so the kids don't get any plastic whatsoever. And if there happens to be anything with plastic right there, we either dump it into our own bags, we hand it back to the farmer. Uh, Sometimes they give us extra fruits or extra vegetables, especially the oranges. We give back the bag that the oranges come in and he always gives us two or three extra oranges. So things like that, that really get them to see where the food is coming from, that it doesn't need packaging, that it can be actually like lettuce can come as just lettuce and you just take off the outer leaves and you've got a beautiful salad. And then composting all of those extra bits and pieces um, we learned that our city actually composts for us in our green bin. So we just separate out anything that has to do with fruits and vegetables and, and fresh fresh fruits and you know things like that that are left behind, stems, things like that. We put it in a separate bag and we dump that into the green bin. And that green bin gets composted along with all the rest of the things that come from our garden. And it's just interesting because I really didn't know this until I just looked a little further and I realized, oh my God, these services are available to us. It's just not as obvious. You have to look for it. So I recommend, you know, that's one really good way that people can can um, help reduce the footprint because the CO2 gases that come from food waste are just incredibly, incredibly difficult to fathom. And to just reduce that is is a huge way to in, in, decrease your footprint. And with the kids, it's a fun way to get, get them involved and all of that. The other thing that my kids and I, we talk a lot about is how much um, animal protein do we really need actually? Um, so we started with meatless Mondays, but then now we're starting to take it up to the next level, which is like, what, what type of you know, milk do we really need to always have? So we started to try oat milk at home rather than dairy and all those other things. And so reducing our animal protein has also been a fun way for all of us to get involved and finding new recipes to try out and doing things like that as a family has been lovely and they've been really open to it and they understand it. And another one of the favorite things that we do is looking at um, ingredients that include palm oil. And I showed the kids some of the effects that palm oil is having on our planet and they refuse to try to, to buy anything with palm oil. So the kids have a lot of power and a lot of ability to make change. It's just that we need to spend the time to give them the information 
in order for them to also make the right decisions. And most of the time they will keep the parents in check, which I'm sure you've experienced too. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcast right after this break. We are supported by Green Chef. What is Green Chef? Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. Let me tell you how it works. It lets you choose from a wide array of easy to follow lifestyles with selected organic ingredients and they're super quick and easy to follow with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos to guide you along. Everything is hand-picked and delivered right to your door and it was so convenient convenient. It makes it really easy. The packaging was really clean and not a ton of plastic. And it actually is the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% of its direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every single box. We were so psyched to enjoy this as a family after all of the cooking and constant, constant cooking in coronavirus pandemic. We we got a little bored with our own patterns and it really was this wonderful way to enjoy a diverse array of meals. And it gave us ideas that we wouldn't have gotten before. It really was a spark of creativity. And my daughters really, really enjoyed being a part of cooking the Green Chef meals. And it was was just so convenient to let Green Chef do the meal planning, the grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you. It was really, really a nice relief. My daughter loved this one meal that she made for lunch and it even inspired my husband to cut potatoes a different way and we were all raving about the these potato pancakes that were in this one meal that we all had and it was really really delicious and just so convenient and easy use the code hunter80 to get $80 off your first month plus free shipping on your first box. Go to greenchef.com slash hunter80 to redeem and for more details. Well, it's interesting because you, you mentioned a couple things there that, uh, you know, um, I used to, I used to have aspirations, I think, to, to be crunchier maybe than I am now in that I, we used to compost and we had a spinner and I got frustrated with it. And I felt, and, and at some point in my life, we felt like, oh, I need to, we need to simplify like this. It's just like for, for us at that time, we felt overwhelmed and there was this extra step to do, but I'd love to, I'm, oh, my mom's recently gotten really into composting through a local program. And you said the CO2 ca- gases from food waste. Cause in my mind, I was like, it's just, it's just going to compost in the you know, in the landfill or it's going to compost in the yard. Like it's not a big difference in my mind. So teach me, tell me, tell me where, where I'm going, what's, you know, what you're thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't do the worms and the spinner either. I have to be honest with you. That seemed really daunting to me. Um, even though we bought one and we had it ready to go. Um, but we just, it never seemed like as feasible for our family. And that's my mission is to find ways that everybody can do something. Everybody can participate. Uh, Some people who have really big yards, they're just like actually throwing this away outside in their garden and just, you know, letting it disintegrate into the, into the soil and into the ground. I can't do that either. So for us, um, being able to at least decrease the amount of scraps and putting it into this green bin was a great 
system. And I, you know, I live here in Los Angeles and that's what the city of Los Angeles allows. And many other cities do too, but it just takes a minute to look on your city website and find this out. And just by learning that little tip, that little tip, you can, again, decrease your impact so much on this planet. And so we're looking for ways that everybody, just your regular person, the one that you know may not really think twice about these habits of waste, can participate and get involved and, and get out there and do something. Um, I know some people don't have this, this ability and they're freezing their scraps and then taking it somewhere that can compost it for them. So there's, a, there's really a lot of ways that people I know are trying their best and it, it is a really huge issue. You know, food waste as, a, as an entire subject can um, really, we can do better. 50% of all the food in America is thrown away. So a lot of that I look at um, is the, the plate sizes have grown as well. So substantially different plate sizes for dinners are you know, present in restaurants and in our homes today than in the 1950s and 60s. I think the number is like it's 35% larger now. And when you compare and contrast, you, know, you feel like you have to fill that plate because there's so much more room on it. In actuality, we're A, overeating and B, throwing away more food. So those are some things to, you know, like actual clues to just see how big are my plates actually? How much food are we thinking we need and throwing away in the end? So those are some other simple things to just look at and think twice about as you're going through your days and, you know, making your, uh, making your shopping lists and steps and trying to figure out, do I really need this much or can I reduce a little bit? Well, you're inspiring me. Actually, before you mentioned it, I never even thought of it, but I have a a yard that is largely taken over by English ivy. And uh, we could throw, we throw all kinds of things into the English ivy. I mean, if we're out, we throw our apple cores into the English ivy, but we could probably do that with all the food waste. And we recently got a dog. So that she's helping us with a lot of food waste too. (laughs) She's like a, a little... That's great. You'd be surprised at how many people are doing that. And it's just interesting if you have the space, if if it's, you know, it doesn't, if you're kind of like raking it and maintaining it, I think that that's the key thing to allow air to flow through it all. And that's the difference is you need that, that air to kind of aerate it in order for it to compost naturally and disintegrate. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'll I'll think carefully about this. Yes. Conversation yes. About yeah. Before uh, you start dumping everything in your backyard, you want to check into it for sure. So, and and can you also educate us about the effects of of palm oil? I mean, I've seen um, palm plantations. I I did. I took a retreat to Costa Rica, and we drove on the way to our location. We drove past miles and miles and miles of rows and rows and rows of palm oil trees and uh and that was really interesting to learn about it was part of their part of their economy but also i guess it was it was dangerous work working in this uh in the in the palm plantation so tell me a little bit more about that so we can we have a better understanding yeah um in order for those trees to have been planted to be planted they basically need to get rid of other trees so mm-hmm. a lot of deforestation is happening in order for those palm fields to be put in. And unfortunately, that means that there's a huge amount of um, animals that are basically taken out of their habitats. And so that's one very big issue. And so 
that and, and now in a, since the Amazon fires and the Australian fires, we're learning, you know, how much deforestation is actually taking place for the love of our hamburgers and things. So it is, um, it is unfortunate to see how much of the, you know, the world's lungs are being taken out due to this type of, you know, kind of com lovely commodities that we want to have. Um, palm oil is a very inexpensive ingredient to make um, that silky, creamy taste in, especially in chocolates and sweets and most of the things that are in your supermarket, actually. And so that is why there's been little success in making change because such huge companies are dominating this. And so there's all sorts of concepts of organic and sustainable and things like that. But everybody um, in the field that I'm in are sort of unsure about it all, actually. So um, my, my, my guess is that there are companies that um, should really walk away from that and save our planet, but they're not. And so there are other replacement items. You know, Oreo cookies are a perfect example. Um, my kids learned that palm oil was in Oreo cookies and that was a sometimes treat for us, but now they won't get those. But there's other brands that are taste the same, but they don't have the palm oil. So we get those as a sometimes treat. So there are other ingredients that they can be using. They're just a cost issue. And so that's the that's where I think consumers really have the power. If we take a look and take a closer look at what's in the items we're buying and stop buying them, they won't produce it anymore. So the change really is in, in our hands. So if we educate ourselves, if we make a decision to not purchase anything that has these sort of key components that are harming the planet, then we'll be able to exercise our power and make a difference. Amen. <laughs> you, uh, you, you know, you're, you've been working amazingly, you've been working hard on changing minds, changing policies, changing habits. Um, what for you what is your what is your big overarching why like do you as you do this work you know are you working to just leave the planet better for your kids or is it is there in any way like a spiritual connection like what is the why for you as you I think are driven for, for me I, the more and more i speak to people not just environmentalists this is really about everybody i realize that people want to do the right thing and the reason I fight so hard is because the systems that are out there are not allowing us to do the right thing. And there's like, we're trying and people really do want to do the right thing, but there's, there's time constraints. There's you know, issues that they may have that really are financial constraints. There's so many layers that are working against us um, that makes it impossible for an average person to, to be able to do better. So for example, one of the things we recently did that I'm super proud of is a campaign we launched called Cutout Cutlery. And that came up because people kept telling me like, I'm so sick and tired of ordering in and getting bags and bags of plastic cutlery that I never asked for. I, don't, I wrote a note. I said, don't send me the cutlery. I don't need it. I'm eating at home. And they still send it. And I don't want to throw it away. I feel bad. And so I realized that you know, default settings change behavior so much without even thinking about it. So we launched this campaign where everyone was able to email out with one click to the main food delivery companies, asking them to change the default settings so users only receive plastic cutlery when requested. And Uber Eats joined in globally, Postmates joined in globally, 
and now we're waiting on DoorDash and Grubhub to jump in too. Once those guys jump in, I think we'll see a lot less errors, but the goal is for the new norm to be that plastic cutlery isn't provided unless it's made upon request. Um, those are the type of reasons why I do what I do because I want to give people a fighting chance to uh, do better for the planet. And that's where I feel we're struggling the most. Mm. I love it. I, I, um, I, I started to bring my camping fork and spoon and knife around that like, it's kind of like a little camping set that fits in with each other. So I could stop using plastic cutlery when I was out and about at various places. And, um, and I've got to start again because it, it's interesting how we get a little hamstrung by convenience because my, you know, I have the best of intentions, but then I have to, I take it home and I wash it and I forget, you know, it's just, it's just there, you're right about habits, right? It's habits of waste. It's just habits of, you know, we're changing our habits and changing our norms. And so it's just simply as not as much a habit for me. What are, what are, you know, as we, as we kind of wrap up, like, what do you think are some of the most, what are, what are some of the highest impact habits that we can change? I mean, you, you did, we talked about crayons, we talked about straws and, 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 you know, helping kids become more eco-conscious, but what if, if the listener, I imagine maybe a little overwhelmed, say, if they're doing none of these things and, and what, what are some of the ways that we can, places we can start and have that best, highest impact? So we try to generally come up with solutions that is like, you know, it's no skin off your back. Just, you know, think about it this way. Get a, get the cutlery if you need it. If you don't need it, please just don't get it. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We're trying really hard to make it just easy for everybody to participate. And there's no shame in it. There's no, you know, us and them. It's just like everybody lives on this planet. We all need a clean, clean air to breathe, clean water to drink. Um, I would say my top three wishes for everybody would be to um, consider bringing using your reusable water fil- bottles and getting you know filtered tap water. It, most of the water bottle companies out there are providing filtered tap water, but you're just paying for the plastic component of it. Um, there's a million plastic bottles per minute being thrown away right now, and only nine percent are being recycled. Some say it's three percent, and that's just horrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be one of my number ones: is use that reusable as much as you can. Um, the second thing would be, you know, if you really can carpool, get on a bus, take public transportation. Um, maybe if you're into the market for a new car, consider an electric car. Just that yeah. alone would change so much. Um, Someone told me recently, and do not quote me on this, that like a gallon of gas is equivalent to, I don't know how many hundred plastic water bottles. So that sometimes we don't correlate that it's all the same kind of industry. And then lastly- Can I jump in here for a second? Yeah. Um, I just want to say that in my family, we are you know privileged enough to be able to afford to get a new car recently. And, um, and we bought a Tesla Model 3. And it, and we at the same time we were able to also change our uh, get our electricity from to all renewable um, resources from our electricity company. And I just want to point that out that we're not uh, like a super wealthy family, and the this you know 
pretty fancy looking electric car, you know, costs less than a lot of the big SUVs out there, you know, that people drive. So it's, it's especially it the money more, you'll save in gas too. Oh yeah. We pay yeah. three cents, a, three cents a mile for, um, for electricity, which is, you know, incredibly cheap. So, so it may be more in reach than you think. I just want to offer that. Yeah, out there. So the, the, that's, that's one of the great things that we're seeing is that the renewables are, the prices are coming down as demand goes up. So it's going to be more accessible to everybody, companies, corporations, lots and lots of people are going to be able to make the switch in an easier way and not break the bank. Um, and the last thing I was going to say is, it's huge, but um, just see where you can reduce your animal protein intake. If you can, I'm not saying, we say there's no shame in being a part-time vegan. How many meals a week can you try and prepare that do not include animal protein? In your coffee in the morning, have you tried a different type of creamer instead of dairy? Anything, even if it's as small as that, uh, it makes a huge difference. And I think that that would be um, my biggest wish is for people to get, just give it a try. You know, you never know what you'll what you'll come up with. And the recipes that are out there now are so delicious, and you'd never even know that you're missing the animal protein. So I think that that's my top three for sure. It's so true. I'm I'm allergic to the protein in, in dairy products, the casein. And so we've been drinking Oatly, which is we're obsessed. My whole family, even my daughter, my one daughter who is our last milk drinker and who who loves a good burger every once in a while, she's she's on board with that. So you might be surprised. And so tell us, can you give us a quick why? Because sometimes we we don't recognize uh, the effects of animal it, why why is reducing animal protein in your top three asks? Well, I think that, um, first of all, the deforestation issue, just like mm -hmm. we talked about a minute ago with the, um, you know, with the palm oil, in order to raise cattle, to raise uh, all this, this you know, mass amounts of, of land to be able to provide room for these animals to, to be raised and then slaughtered. So that's one, one issue. So we're, we're losing a lot of, of land for that. And then um, again, once again, these, these animals produce so much methane gas, it's unbelievable. And I feel that that's one of the things that we're really not able to um, connect the dots on on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And so that's for me really important. Again, I, I really encourage everyone out there to take a look at habitsofwaste.org. The calls to action are all there and they really do tell you like very simply, what does it, what, what's an example of, um, you know, your change, it, you know, so like it takes 70 times, 75 times more energy to produce meat than corn. Um, and that one cow's methane output is equivalent to driving a car 7,800 miles per year. So wow. these are like huge, huge numbers. Um, if you eat a vegetarian diet, that requires 17 times less land and 14 times less water than a meat eater's. So these are all just, you know, facts that really make you think, oh my goodness, just like, do I really need that much meat? And so once in a while, like, I'm all good with that. If we could, if every average American can decrease down by 40%, we'll be in a much better place. So even if 40% less meat would, would, could make you know, a huge difference for the state of our planet. And probably better for your health too. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Sheila, this has been great. You're a wealth of knowledge and I really appreciate your, um, your your energy and your impact and your organization to be able to get us all these things done that you've gotten done and to engage so many people in cities and 
all around the world. You're, you're making an incredible impact and I'm really grateful for the work that you're doing. I appreciate the, having the chance to share my work and hopefully inspire folks out there to, to make a little bit of a difference um, in their daily basis. That would be the best thing from, from having you know, a conversation like this is to reach so many new people out there and give them a chance to know that they really do matter and their actions um, really do make a difference collectively. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I, uh, Sheila is all about these transformations and these changes. So I'm wondering kind of, you know, what is one transformation you're going to do? What, are, what can you two do to reduce the waste? And keep that in mind, even as, you know, as all these crazy things happen in this crazy year of 2020, global warming is still a huge issue that is really important maybe one of the biggest, most important things there is to talk about. So uh, what can you do and what can I do? Let's have this conversation. Let's talk about it a little bit more. And let's talk about whether kids, they care and they should care because it's really, really going to affect them. If you have any questions or, you know, you like this episode, of course, share it. And uh, before I go, I just want to mention that the Mindful Parenting teacher training has been enrolling. I have uh, trainees from all around the world who are going to be taking mindful parenting to their locations. It's so cool. It's like seeing like my baby fly around the world. It's so cool. So if you want to learn more, if you want to help transform families in your area, if you want to deepen your own knowledge, if you want to earn some income doing something that you actually really love and care about, then check it out. Learn more about it. You can um, join the free training and, uh, of course, do the prerequisite, the Mindful Parenting course, and learn more about all of that at mindfulparentingcourse.com teach. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach. And, you know, get in touch with me. I'm happy to answer any questions. I've been hopping on the phone with people. So, um, yeah, if you're interested, let me know. And we have some awesome podcasts coming up. I've had some amazing guests that I've been talking to that I have been that um that that are in the in the bag coming up for you. So be sure to check where you listen to podcasts every Tuesday and and check it out. I know we don't have any commutes anymore, so it's, it can be hard to listen to podcasts. But maybe it'll be a nice. I can go on a nice walk with you or while you fold some laundry or do some dishes or whatever. So um, anyway, I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you peace, some moments of calm and chill. I hope you have some moments where you just sit around and read a novel. Uh, And if you have little ones, I may sound crazy, but that time will come, I promise. And and I wish you, um, I hope that you can practice this week to love and accept yourself exactly as you are and uh, know it's all about progress not perfection thank you so much for listening i i'm really grateful for your presence uh it means so much to me wishing you a beautiful week namaste